something may not be right. The heart condition was one of the major possibilities. She had two holes in her heart. Open heart surgery would be a definite requirement. Two for two, having responding code one. We have a that lady unconscious. Topic approach one three two zero. Hi, I'm Lana Mitchell from the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a podcast series about mateship, about life in the bush, and about the role that the Royal Flying Doctor Service plays in servicing rural communities. This is the Flying Doctor Podcast. The fetal cardiologist mentioned that there would be up to 200 different things that could go wrong. And it was at the 20-week scan that we actually found out Um, of Calvary's condition. Pregnancy is an exciting and life-changing experience. For new mums, it can be stressful and scary, but for parents that have walked an uneventful pregnancy and birth path several times, the news of a wanted pregnancy brings great joy. Sophia and Matt are a loving, caring couple with a blended family consisting of four teenagers and living in Western Australia just an hour out of Perth. They were keen to have a child together, so they were thrilled when Sophia fell pregnant and their four teens were excited to hear that they were soon going to have a new baby in the household. Unfortunately, fairly early on, they learned their expected baby, Calvary, had a severe medical challenge that brought with it a host of unknowns. Interviews I've done for the Flying Doctor podcast often focus on remote areas and scary accidents, but this story is instead about a birth plan that was well thought out and prepared, two parents who did everything right and were close to the medical assistance that they knew Calvary was going to need, but had it all turn upside down when their baby decided she was simply not going to stick to the plan. Hello, Sophia and Matt. Hey, Lana, how are you going? Hey, how are you? I'm good. Now, I wanted to find out, first of all, how the two of you met. (laughs) Apparently, I'm going to take this question. Um, Okay, so Matt and I met at a birthday party at Hogs Breath Cafe uh, back in 2011, was it? And um, so he used to go to church with this girl and I went to high school with this same girl. Um, She invited us both and yeah, it was pretty interesting. We sat next to each other and we talked the whole night and, um, yeah, we just kicked it off from there. Fabulous. Now, you have somehow, from that meeting at Hog's Breath Cafe, have ended up with your own little Brady Bunch. Can you tell me about your blended family? I have three biological children from my previous marriage and uh, they are age 16, 15 and 14. And Matt has a biological son from his previous marriage and he is 13. And then together we have little Calvary who is now four and a half. If we could start off with that point where you discovered that you were pregnant, I'm sure you were overjoyed with that news. Mm. Um, How did the the teens think about this um, new person coming into the family? I'll start with that one. That was like a really exciting time for the whole family, I think. Um, you know, it's one thing to bring kids together from different marriages. It's another thing to add another one into that mix. Um, and so there was a lot of uncertainty, I guess, as to what that might look like. And uh, But I think as a whole, everyone was sort of like, wow, there's another person coming into this family. What's it going to look like? And we we're all in that state, you know, even Sophia and myself. 
Um, and I think it's the months that followed that that sort of really changed our life um, for the better. Looking at it now, at the time, it was quite a scary moment. And it was at the 20-week scan that we actually found out um, of Calvary's condition. Could you tell me, Matt, about what did happen when Sophia went for that 20-week ultrasound? Yeah, so um, we went in for a, a routine checkup um, and we were in that ultrasound having a look at um, Calvary's uh, body um, inside the womb, obviously. And it was at that stage that we noticed um, the person doing the checkup was scanning back and forwards for quite a bit. And obviously we'd both been through this in the past ourselves and it really made us step back a little bit. We didn't know anything at the time and they spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards, didn't say anything at the time. We made it home, but we sort of gauged at that point, something may not be right, but not sure about it. What happened after that scan was done? What was what occurred next that on that journey of finding out what was going on? So the next step was asking me to come again uh, to do another scan. And it was from that scan that they referred us to a fetal cardiologist up in the city. Um, and they had just sort of said, look, we're um, seeing an anomaly with her heart and also her head is not uh, what we would expect it to be. So um, it's best if we send you off to this specialist up in the city and um, they'll be able to let you know a little bit more information. Gotcha. So mm. you travelled, how far is it to um, to Perth to that specialist? Uh, so it's about an hour, just over an hour. And, um, you know, the nurses there were very kind. They had sort of given me the heads up and said, um, you know, the, the, the cardiologist is not going to speak much, but don't be alarmed. He's just going to do what he needs to do. And then he'll explain to you um, straight after the scan, um, which is what he did. Uh, very comprehensive, uh, basically said that she had uh, an interrupted aortic arch or a, an issue with her heart and she had two holes in her heart as well. Um, surgery, uh, open heart surgery would be a, a definite requirement. Perth wouldn't be able to um, perform this surgery so we would need to fly over to Melbourne uh, to deliver the baby and to have the open heart surgery immediately after birth. So, you know, receiving all of that information in the bulk of, you know, an hour and a half appointment was very, very overwhelming for us both. Wow. How did you take that news? Uh, not very well. I'd like to say that I'd like to think that I'm a strong person, but I really did kind of fall apart. Um, this was supposed to be, you know, the happy ending, the, the thing that brought us all together and something that, you know, we were all so excited about. And um, to have this happen, and especially when there was no indication, you know, we had, we had both had very, very healthy children. There was nothing um, to suggest that we might have any issues with, with our baby. But um, yeah, a very, very overwhelming process of trying to, you know, wrap our heads around it for sure. Um, Sophia, was there any medical explanation for how this had occurred? Basically, one of those things that just kind of happens when all of those cells are dividing and, and coming together that, you know, a part of her 22nd chromosome didn't copy over as it should have. I mean, that's the genetic anomaly that she does have. She has a, a deletion in her 22nd chromosome. Yeah, the fetal cardiologist mentioned that there would be up to 200 different things that could go 
wrong, I guess, and the heart condition was one of the, the major possibilities and which it was in our case. Wow. Okay. So, Matt, how were you coping? Were you the wonderful supportive husband um, <laughs> helping Sophia or were you a, a crumpled mess as well? I have to say I was doing my best, um, but it was still challenging. It was especially to see your wife go through this um, at a time where you're expecting great joy, great um, anticipation, and then all of a sudden your life almost gets turned upside down with this news. Um, and some of the things the doctors put in front of you are very confronting, you know, decisions that you have to make. Um, and for us, you know, as a married couple, it was a straightforward decision. It wasn't something we questioned. It was we're going ahead with this. This is this is what we believe in. This is what we do. And so um, that was a, a very simple decision in one, but it was a very difficult part of our lives in another. So um, it definitely a, a challenging season right through the pregnancy, I guess. There were lots of emotional ups and downs. Um, after that medical appointment, a Google search almost made me um, mm. turn upside down. <laughs> it was one of the worst things I could have done, I think, was to Google what does 22Q look like and um, it's not not pretty. And so there's many different scenarios that can come from this. And so all of those worst case scenarios float around in your mind. So I guess uh, the birth plan, you know, every pregnant couple um, go through working out the birth plan. But for you, the birth plan was significantly different. So your baby was going to have to have open heart surgery immediately. Mm. So could you tell me what was, maybe Sophia, if you could start explaining, but what was the basic birth plan as you um, neared the, the end of your pregnancy? How were you going to make sure that both you as mother and little Calvary were going to be safe? Yeah, so the plan was that we would um, fly over to Melbourne and we would deliver, um, so the, the flight was booked for me when I would be 36 weeks pregnant and we would fly over and we would have a natural birth. So they were very clear on, you know, there's no, there's going to be no issue up until the point that she's actually born. So while she's in my stomach, it, it's all good. Um, but it was very confronting because, you know, it obviously meant we couldn't bring our older children with us. Um, we would be leaving them behind. We would be leaving our support um, people behind. Um, and that was very difficult to think that we would be isolated, I guess, in that in that area. Now, the reason you had to go to Melbourne was because Perth didn't have the capacity or the the specialists needed to do this um, very intensive surgery, open mm. heart surgery on a newborn baby. Yeah. So um, this all went wrong when Calvary decided she wasn't going to stick with the schedule. No. <laughs> Matt, would you mind telling me what happened when Calvary decided, I'm not waiting 36 weeks? Yeah, look, a little bit of the story there was I'd signed up. Um, I'd taken a resignation from work, which finished up literally the day we left. Um, it was just quite ironic how it all played out. But pre that, uh, Sophia was walking around the house and um, all of a sudden it occurred to her that her waters had broken and that was a mad rush for us uh, out the door. And we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? This isn't supposed to happen yet. And We've this, got to how get many on a weeks plane. was this? Was this 35 this weeks? 36 weeks? No, no, 35. 35. Yeah, 35, 35 weeks. Um, and so that was a 
we were obviously all ready to take a flight out of Perth off to Melbourne. We were planned. Everything was on its way and that plan absolutely got turned on its head. Um, so we went with the motion. We went up to the hospital, um, which was King Edward Memorial Hospital mm-hmm. in Perth. Um, and, look, we were very well catered for there and um, they did an incredible job. But at the same time we had all these uncertainties of, What's going to happen? We, we were supposed to be in Melbourne. How's this going to work? But it wasn't a, a quick birth. It was quite a lengthy process um, to deliver Calvary. And uh, so we went through, um, it was a, a pretty intensive period there. How many um, hours are we talking about, Matt? I'll hand that one to Sophia. <laughs> she might remember better than I do. Yeah, I definitely remember. Um, so I had my waters break on the Wednesday and I had Calvary on the Friday. Um, a long time. Yeah, they were really trying to push for the baby to stay in as long as possible because they obviously needed her to be healthy and as big and as strong as, um, you know, she could be for this heart surgery. But um, they noticed that I my inflammation markers were up by the Friday. Um, I was developing an infection. So they said, you know, we'll induce you and we'll um, have to get you to give birth here. Could you tell me what happened as Calvary came into the world? She was good. She was born breathing. Um, So my understanding of Calvary's birth is that the resus would take her away immediately. Um, They had sort of forewarned me that she might be born blue, uh, that she would be taken straight away. Um, But I think we were very blessed. We were very lucky. She was born and she was crying and she was pink. And so they let me have, it must have been like a three-minute cuddle. (laughs) It was very special. Um, And then the resus team took her away. And the next time I saw her, she was hooked up to every single line imaginable. She had um, needles and lines and everything in her. And, you know, I had just given birth to this baby and I I felt like I had no idea who she was because she had been taken from me so quickly. Um, but yeah, so that that was that. And then she headed off by ambulance to another hospital where they cared for her. And we stayed in the hospital that I gave birth in. And which hospital was she taken to? Uh, at the time, it was uh, Princess Margaret Hospital in Perth. And what was the plan? That, that Now they've got mother and baby separated. So what was their plan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I think I think Calvary coming early really, as Matt said, you know, through all of our plans on its side. Um, so the plan was that Calvary would stay at uh, PMH until there was a ICU bed available in Melbourne. And we would all go over together um, and and fly over to Melbourne. Um, It just so happened that it was the grand final weekend. So there were no, (laughs) there were no spaces on the aeroplane available. And at that time, there were no um, spaces in ICU Melbourne either. So um, we had a little bit of a wait in Perth until we were able to head on over. How long was it before you could actually get to Melbourne? It was about nine to 10 days before we left. Um, and then we were over there for a few days before she actually had the operation. How did you get there? So um, Calvary flew by the Royal Flying Doctor Service and it was just a, a really amazing to see how they bring everything together, um, to see that journey from the hospital, um, getting them to the plane. And, and a lot of that we didn't see until after the fact. You know, we got the f- um, photos and video footage of what occurred and just really seeing that journey was um just a real blessing to see how cared for she was, how uh, caring the doctors and nurses, the support staff that were around her. And I think larger than that, 
it's all the planning and um, even down to the aircraft mechanics and that that do all, all of this behind the scenes that make this stuff happen. The, the people that aren't necessarily seen when that plane takes off um, that make this um, go from A to B. And I, I guess on top of that is the sponsors that um, bring this stuff together as well. Now, so, Matt, did you, did you say that they sent you videos of Little Calvary so did, was it the flight nurse or the pilot or who took videos and pictures? Video? It might just be photos. I'm not sure if we No, it was, it was the pictures and it was the nurse. She was like Calvary's little escort on the, um, on the flight, but she was also telling me as she sent the photos to me that the pilot had had um, open heart surgery himself. So we've got this beautiful photo of the Royal Flying Doctor Service pilot and little Calvary in her little incubator cot and um, just getting sent that as we were boarding our plane um, to head over to Melbourne um, was very special. It was knowing that she was being cared for um, by people who, you know, were obviously highly experienced but had also gone through things themselves as well. So that was very comforting for me to know and and, and hear about. Wow. So then you jump onto a commercial flight and yep. the two of you are off to Melbourne. Yep. What happened next? Uh, so we jumped onto Qantas and we headed off to Melbourne, got over there um, and it wasn't until obviously we got to the hospital that we got to see Calvary again. And that was a massive relief, I think, was just to, you know, you've been separated from, and especially for Sophia, where you're separated from your your child um, so close to birth for extended periods. And it happened here in Perth. It happened again on the plane flight over. Um, but just to be reunited, to see everyone, like we're here together again. Um, but I guess at the same time, there was a lot ahead of us and we recognised that. And so it was a, an incredibly emotional experience to sort of know what we we were faced with in the weeks ahead. So she had to undergo open heart surgery. Sophia, would you tell me sort of briefly what that was and how that went? Yeah, so she had an interrupted aortic arch. So basically the surgeon had um, let me know that they were going to reconstruct her arch. Um, And there was also um, a hole in her heart, which they were going to close, but they actually placed a very small six mil um, conduit from her right ventricle to her pulmonary artery. And this was you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know the medical terms, but this was obviously going to help her and her heart function. Um, they did try to put a bigger one in, but, um, you know, obviously she was a premature baby. She was uh, 2.1 kilos. She was such a tiny baby. Um, and the surgeon had said her heart was literally the size of a, a medium strawberry. Um, so just to think of how they were able to uh, reconstruct the the function of this this heart and put these bits and pieces in and close other bits um, is just it's crazy to even think about. Um, but that's what they did. They went in and they did that, and um, it was a very long um, surgery. We had been told that it might be you know maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, three three four o'clock that we would be able to see her, and they were just coming out of surgery at about seven, eight o'clock at night. Uh, things didn't quite go to plan, um, but they were able to, um, you know, assess the situation and, and, and work around that and do what they needed to do. Wow. And did little Calvary 
um, put up with all of that intervention and the opening up of her chest and everything else? Did she did she stabilise and was she okay a little bit after that? Uh, so we had been told um, uh, a mot- mortality rate uh, of how um, well they thought she would uh, function afterwards. So they had told us this before the surgery and when it came to after the surgery, they, you know, were sort of, you know, insinuating that it looked a little bit bleaker um, and we would just uh, have to wait and see what happened overnight. They basically said that if anything is going to go wrong, it'll be in the next 12 to 24 hours. So let's just monitor her and see how we go. Um, And, you know, I think at that stage we were like, you know, I think we've done everything that we can. We've, um, you know, the surgery has been performed. We're here. We're doing everything necessary. And now we're just going to have to wait and see. How did you as a family um, address that point of the fact that Calvary might not make it? And how do you, how do you have that conversation with siblings? Um, is, was that a conversation you had as a family or did you do it individually one-on-one with your kids? I think we really took them on that journey um, from the get-go. Even from that first scan, you know, it was that point that this really got discussed with them. You know, I think we may have held back a little bit on some of those discussions and only shared elements. But as a whole, we really tried to include them. They're, they are our family. Um Yes, it might have been a bit above their heads as far as what, you know, what all this is. And we, we didn't definitely go into the details of what some of it might look like. But at the same time, we wanted to expose them so that they weren't caught unaware if something happened or anything like that. So de- definitely a, t- a challenging thing to try and navigate. But as a whole, look, the compassion that's been built in these children through this journey has been incredible. Well, they do say that love, you know, the strength of love um, is often what carries us forward and that's yeah. definitely clear. Yeah. Um, so let's move. So you head out of Melbourne and you head back to Perth with Calvary some weeks later. How did Calvary travel this time? This was a bit different this time. So she wasn't put on a plane by herself. Uh, and this was a, quite a daunting thing for us, I think. Um, so through the surgery, she had her, her heart opened up for three days. Um, and so all we could see is a bit of gauze in front of her heart. Um, as she went through that surgery. So we'd been exposed to a lot and then they've handed us this baby and said, there you go, off on the Qantas flight. And so we're trying to hold this baby ever so delicately. Um, I remember getting into the taxi and I'm thinking, how are we going to do this? You know, don't touch, don't do anything. But we were we were lucky we had a nurse with us um, and we're really lucky through that flight. It just went, um, went to plan. So everything um, happened as needed. And uh, we we made it back to Western Australia. And so. did Calvary go home at that point or did Calvary just go back into hospital again? No, she went straight back into hospital. So we literally uh, got off the flight, got in a taxi and went straight to PMH. At what point did she finally get to go home? I believe it was about 40 days after the operation. Is yeah, that- uh, 40 days after birth, I think. Yes, six weeks. But it was a a great experience to be able to take her through our doors. It was actually a little bit, it was a very emotional moment, just sort of taking her so long after being born just into our house. Um, And we were absolutely overwhelmed by what was there in front of us. There was just a table full of gifts and flowers and uh, everything had been done around the house. Um, And we were just so grateful for that. It was really good. And you, Sophia, was it nice to finally come home? It was, I I think when you've been running on adrenaline for so long, you are waiting 
for it all to sort of end. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, you know, you're just waiting for that high of what you've been going through to kind of just stop. And I remember coming back home with Calvary and then, you know, the older children coming and finally meeting her, you know, formally, um, getting to see her and, and hold her and just be with her, that just thinking that, how, you know, how on earth has this happened? Where have the last six weeks gone? You know, this is um, so unimaginable to think of what we have been through. And yet, as the days went on, as the weeks went on, it was just this process of just slowly, very, very slowly coming off this this adrenaline high. And, you know, we were very, very quick to get back into the usual routine of normal life. I think that was very important for me um, personally to feel like I had, you know, resumed control back of my life in a, in, in a scenario where I had no control whatsoever. And did the four teenagers... Um, did they have any roles or responsibilities as far as looking after Calvary over that those next few months? I remember um, it would have been the first couple of days of Calvary being home and the kids who walked to school were very, very late and I was trying to find them like, you know, where are you guys? You guys need to be ready and out the door. And they were just sitting on the bed next to her, you know, counting her little toes, just tickling her under her little neck. And it was such a beautiful thing to see that they finally had this time. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about the heart surgery, the open heart surgery that Calvary had to have, that they tried to put in a larger conduit, but they had to go with the six millimetre conduit because of her little tiny strawberry-sized heart. Mm. I love that little, <laughs> brings a picture to, picture to my mind of a little strawberry. So as she grew, um, she had to then go in for another open heart surgery to replace that little tiny six millimetre conduit and replace it with a 12 millimetre conduit. Would you tell me about where that took place and, and what occurred? Yeah, so we were on that journey and obviously we'd been through the, the operation in Melbourne and we were thinking, this is great and, you know, we're off and running and Calvary's doing well. And it was one of our checkups that we went in for. Um, they basically said that it's looking like she's needing another surgery and that we were just like, wow, you know, we've only just sort of got through the last one and we, we still hadn't got through the last one and it was back there again. And so that was a really challenging um, period for us, I guess, trying to understand what that might look like. And I think for me, it was probably harder again that you've developed a relationship with this little body and, you know, um, you've, you've sort of understood that there's this child in front of you and, and then you've got to put this child back before the doctors and just have absolute trust. And that was a really challenging thing to do. And so um, that was in Perth, that one. Luckily, we had a, a great doctor over here um, that took, you know, took us through that journey. This one didn't go as, um, it wasn't as planned as we wanted it to be. We were hoping it would be an in and out process. Um, however, we got in there and they undertook the surgery. And while they were actually cutting open um, her bones, they actually cut through um, her uh, conduit. Um, which is incredibly close to her surface. But um, the doctor said it was an in incredibly challenging surgery that he had. And so for us, that was really hard to hear. And we understand that these things happen in surgery, but it's a, uh, it's a real journey to go on. And, and it was the days that followed that that I guess were some of our toughest. Basically, she ended up with a clot in the brain as well. And to the point also where she also had to have CPR 
undertaken on her as well. So um, I'll let Sophia share a bit of that though. She might want to speak into that a bit more. (laughs) So um, from my understanding of the stroke that she had, um, it was likely related to the fact that there was this issue when they were trying to open up her sternum. I think it would have been about uh, maybe two weeks after her surgery, they had taken her tubes out. So she was now breathing by herself and um, she began to have seizures. Um, So they immediately um, put the tubes back in and were able to see that she had had a stroke and that some foreign matter had travelled into her brain, created a little bit of a a clot and it basically starved, uh, I think it was about 10% of her brain of, of blood. Yeah, so she had the stroke and the the neurologist came and explained to us that because she's so young, the brain has this incredible way of, you know, other parts of the brain taking over the parts that there has been, you know, death in the tissue. So we were very anxious for her to wake back up again to see if she was moving all her, you know, limbs and if she could look around. And, you know, she did wake up a couple of days after and she was moving all her limbs and she was, you know, functioning as per normal. That was such a blessing to see. I think, you know, when you're in that space, you always think worst case scenario. Um, And it was a week after that, that we... Um, she had um, incredible um, difficulty uh, coming off morphine. So that was a very, very, very big process for us. And it seems to be the case like every open heart surgery she has, we really struggle with that aspect. And um, it was one evening that we, uh, because we were sleeping in the hospital, we were awoken by a code blue. It was just blaring out on all of the speakers in the hospital and we heard that they mentioned her room number and we thought, oh, not thinking anything of it because it was like four o'clock in the morning. We thought, oh, they must be paging us. Let's go. And we were just slowly, you know, getting dressed and we come out of the hallway and there are literally doctors and nurses flying from every single corridor going towards um, ICU where Calvary was and specifically in her room. And we were like, what on earth is happening? We had no idea. I grabbed a doctor who was rushing by me and I said, like, I, can I go in? And he's like, no, you stay here. Matt, um, you know, Google is his friend. He's jumped onto Google and he's Googled, what does code blue mean? And we saw that it was, um, you, you know, like a cardiac arrest. Uh, when we were finally allowed to go back in, they explained to us that she had to go back onto morphine, had to go back onto her, all of her tubes and they had to perform CPR for three to four minutes and they were able to get her back alive, I guess. So, yeah, that was a very, very traumatic evening. I guess the whole the whole period was, but that particularly was very difficult for us. That's horrifying. Mm. Absolutely horrifying. So, okay, so she's seven months old. She's been through this absolutely horrible ordeal. What was recovery like from that point? Uh, very difficult. After her surgery and all the difficulties we had with that, she, um, we were told that they would be able to close her chest straight up. So when we saw her, she would not have an open chest. But as it turned out, because of all the pressure and the issues, her um, chest cavity was left open for a couple of days. So they closed that back up. Um, and after the CPR, obviously, that's a little bit of a, a rough procedure for like a, a five kilo, seven month old baby. Um, so that had actually split back open 
We did do some scans to ensure that her ribs were okay, um, no broken bones, no issues there. But then we had also come back up significantly on the morphine. So that was another hurdle that we had to face, um, you know, getting her back off that again after she had been off it for, you know, a couple of days because we were obviously in the weaning process. And, um, yeah, so we did lots of scans. There were lots of doctors. So every morning at 8 o'clock the doctors would come around and that morning there were like, like 25 doctors all huddled in our room and they were just sort of spilling outside as well because the room couldn't contain us all. So we had a lot of different specialists um, keeping their close eye on Calvary at that stage. Today, Calvary is a spunky little smiley, bouncy little girl. Would you tell me a little bit about life with the wonderful, somewhat recovered Calvary, mm. how she's doing today? What is day-to-day life like with Calvary? Look, it's uh, for me, it's incredible just to see this girl and know her journey, just to see where she's come from and where she's going. And her milestones don't look like a typical child. You know, it's, we know, you know, we've got four other children. We know what that looked like. But um, the thing with Calvary is it's unique in every way. And every single milestone she meets, it's like a, an incredible excitement. How she's developing, how her personality is developing is, you know, it's amazing just to see where she's, um, the way in which she's reacting to different things that happen in life. But her personality, um, I think anyone that meets this girl is just like, wow, what an amazing personality. Just a very quiet, soft, um, never in a temper, never um, angry or just always happy little girl. And, you know, very rarely we hear her cry right throughout her life. She's just had this amazing um, happiness on her life, which has been great. Sophia, tell me about your daughter. (laughs) <laughs> she she's just such a delight. She is funny. She is clever. Um, she ha- she has a real personality on her, and she does. She just she brings so much joy to the people around her. She um, when she smiles, it's just so. I don't know, infectious. It just makes everybody smile. Like, I mean, that sounds kind of like what every parent says about their child, but I really genuinely feel that she just has this thing about her and she takes everything in her stride, you know. So she's now at a place where she's able to uh, go to daycare and make friends and be with other children. Um, You know, she makes friends and she's just such a joy to be with. She really is. Mm. That's fabulous. Thank you so much for coming to tell us all about Calvary. Wonderful story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Lana. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. The Flying Doctor podcast was presented by me, Lana Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone who you think will love it too. Thank you for listening to the Flying Doctor podcast.